just going to read and pray for us as we come to God's Word this morning. Uh, you want to follow along with me in your Bibles. The, the words should be on your screen as well. Uh, it's from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 13 to 16. And this is God's Word. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that we can come this morning and meet with you in your presence here among us. Lord, we're thankful for all the blessings that you pour out on us, at least your son Jesus, and the sacrifice that he has made for us. Lord, I pray as we come to your word this morning that, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see you, uh, to see Jesus, to see the, the glory of the gospel in all that we hear this morning, that may you speak, uh, Lord, to us, each one, uh, where we are. May you speak to our hearts, and uh, Lord, may you change us this morning. I pray your blessing upon uh, John as he comes to share from your word. I pray that you bless the words that he has prepared, that you would uh, make them yours and that you would speak through him uh, this morning. Lord, I pray for our kids in all their spaces as well. Uh, Lord, for their leaders as they teach them and equip them uh, in your word as well. Lord, I pray that you would meet with each one. And Lord, that we would leave this place this morning uh, transformed and changed and encouraged and built up and restored uh, all by the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Morning, everyone, again. Uh, so, as you'll probably have picked up now, what we're doing over the next couple of months, or, well, it'll be a brief few months now when we take our wee break for the summer, but what we were doing was we were in Matthew 5, and we started off in the Beatitudes, and what we're going to do now is continue on just through the Sermon on the Mount, our Sermon on the Mount. And I, I want us to say this before we start today, even, the Beatitudes are the start of the Sermon on the Mount. They are not two separate identities. They are the same thing, and they have the same context. And so the context of the Sermon on the Mount was, as we have stated from the start of the Beatitudes, is that Jesus has drawn aside, his disciples have come to him, and he is teaching them the way of the kingdom, essentially. He is teaching them what the kingdom of God will look like for them and how they live out this new kingdom narrative that they've been brought into. And so what does it look like to be citizens of the kingdom? And that's the teaching block that we're in. Jesus, almost his first teaching block with his disciples, this is what he's teaching them. And so we're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Did you ever just want out? Do you ever just want out? Out of a situation, out of a job, out of a relationship, out of whatever it may be, 
but you just thought to yourself, do you know what? It'd be easier just to be out. I certainly have, and I'm sure you have. You know, whatever it might be, it might be str- you might be struggling in whatever situation, as I said, it might be, and you just thought, right, do you know what? It'd be easier just to get out of this, to walk away from it, just to be rid of it, gone. Just before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus prayed this for his disciples, and he prayed it for us. He said this, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, there are several, there have been several times in my life I wish Jesus had a prayed different. There have been several times throughout my life and throughout my, my journey with Jesus, I, I wish he had a prayed, Lord, take them out. Just bring them home. Because that would be so much easier. To be in the presence of Jesus and to be in the glory of heaven and, and perfection is so much, it would be so much easier than being here. But that's not what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. He didn't pray that God would take us away. And that's his design. For whatever reason, we'll see part of the reason today. For his reasons, God has not chosen to deliver his people from this world straight away, but he has chosen to keep them in the world and to be the things that we're going to see throughout the Sermon on the Mount. To be the things that we have already saw in the Beatitudes. And so God has not chosen to deliver his people straight away, but he has chosen to keep them in the world and to give them responsibilities in the world. And if that's the case, if that's the case that we're not being removed from the world, but we have responsibilities in the world, what are they? What are they? What are those responsibilities? You see, over the, over, over the, the period of, of Christendom, the answers to that have been radically different. The answers to the responsibilities that believers have in the world have been, been radically different. Some insist that we're here to transform society, whether through political or social activism, whether through duty or whether through whatever it may be, we are here to change the world that we live in. We are here to, to alleviate all social problems, eliminate poverty, deliver the oppressed, and do whatever else is necessary on the earth to eradicate injustice and inequity. That's one side. Get involved, get stuck in, do everything you can to change the world around you. Then on the other side, what we've saw is throughout history is the, the, the withdrawal from the church. Separatism. Don't, you, can't, you can't be there. You can't do that. You can't be with them. You can't associate with them. You can't do that thing. Separatism. Withdraw completely from the world. Now, to be honest, neither of those answers are really helpful. Neither of those answers are really helpful or indeed biblical. What we see in Matthew 5 is Jesus' answers 
to that question. How are believers, followers of Jesus, supposed to live in this world? How are you, if you're a follower of Jesus, supposed to live in this world? You are in the world, but not of the world. And Jesus here uses two metaphors in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, to explain the obligation we have to the world around us. The responsibilities that we have to the world around us. But before, I, before we get into these two statements that Jesus makes about the way we are supposed to be, it's important again to note that this passage follows on from what we've been studying. We've been looking at the Beatitudes. And so what we've, what we've saw is, is these Beatitudes, and then Jesus, Jesus brings in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing we note, because this follows on from what we've just saw, the first thing we note is it is impossible to live, it, listen to this, it is impossible to live to the norms of the kingdom of God in a private way. It is impossible. It is impossible to live a kingdom lifestyle privately. These virtues that we saw in the, in the Beatitudes, and now we're moving into the, sermon, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, these virtues in isolation from other people easily, easily degenerate into self-righteousness. And we become Pharisees. Jesus' point is that these virtues are, not, are to govern not only our relationships with him, but the world around us, the people around us. After all, what possible influence could the people described in the Beatitudes exert? In a, and, and, and the theory goes, well, if you look at the Beatitudes, what impact are those going to have on the world that we live in? In the cold-hearted, tough, dog-eat-dog world that we live in, what lasting good could the meek have? What lasting good could the pure in heart have? People whose ultimate goal in life is for purity of heart, who yearn not for power but to show mercy, what impact are they going to have on the world around them? Will they not be overwhelmed, ignored, exploited? Jesus says this is the way we are to live in the world. Not in isolation, not as separatists away from the world, but in the world with those around us. Incredible as it may seem, he is going to describe a handful of Palestinian peasants and fishermen as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Second, what we see here is that this would be meaningless that if if the Christian and the world were not distinct. This would be meaningless if the Christian and the world were not distinct. On one hand, there is the earth, and then the other hand, there is the you Jesus is talking to here. On one hand, there is the world, and on the other hand, there is the you that is the light of the world. Unless we are distinct 
from the world in such a way that the world knows it, Jesus says that will profit us little. In other words, they, these texts, the Beatitudes and, and the Sermon on the Mount are telling us what we exactly don't want to be. Different. They are telling us exactly what we don't want to be. Different. Not weird different, let me be clear. Not strange different, not odd different, not quirky different, but morally and spiritually different. And by nature, we all want to fit in. And these texts are telling us, Jesus is telling us, Jesus is telling his disciples off the bat, you are going to be different. The very thing we don't want to be, you're going to be the salt of the earth and you're going to be the light of the world. So, and finally, this, these metaphors that Jesus is about to use tell us things about the world itself, two things about the world itself. First of all, they will tell us that the world is rotten to the core. That's why he uses the salt analogy. And we'll explore that in a moment. It is rotten to the core. On a path of deterioration. And secondly, it is completely dark. It is completely dark. The world is rotten to the core and it is completely dark. And in, in, in this world, in this decaying, dark world, Jesus steps into the disciples, and the very first things he's, he's going to say is, listen, you're going to be the salt. You're going to be the light. You're going to be the salt, and you're going to be the light. So what is Jesus saying here? And I'm sure if you've been in church for any length of time at all, you've heard what these, the, the salt analogy means, what the light analogy means, but I, but I need to explain them just here briefly again. So, salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, let me just be off the bat. We, we say that, right? That's a saying around this area. You always the salt of the earth. This, Jesus is not saying he's dead on. You are dead on, all right? Let me be clear, that's not what's going on here. Because we use that in that way. Oh, they're the salt of the earth. In other words, they're dead on. That's not what Jesus is saying. All right? Jesus does not say, when he says, you're, he could have used a different analogy. He could have went, do you know what? You're going to be the sugar, the sugar of the earth. You're going to bring the sweetness, and you're going to... No, he doesn't use that. He uses salt. See, salt was of great value in the ancient world for several reasons. Actually, often Roman soldiers were paid in salt. So in Jesus' context, when they use salt, there's, there's several different applications here that could be used. One is valuable. When they would have heard this, you're the salt of the earth. Imagine these early disciples, who they are. We've got to remember who they are. As I say, Palestinian peasants, fishermen. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. How would that, how would that sit with them? 
Well, in that context, if they're hearing that, that, that the Roman soldiers around them are getting paid in salt, and there's value to it, they're going to take it like that. Jesus is saying here, folks, first thing, we're valuable. And, and that, to these guys, would have been just mind-blowing. You're of value. You see, in our day, salt has suffered from bad press. Dietitians urge us to cut down on the salt. Don't take so much salt. Don't, don't eat salt, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, not in that world. Great value. Second thing, salt then also functioned as seasoning. It gives flavor, as we know, to food which is otherwise bland. Job actually says this, Job in six, in Job six verse six says this. Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? I didn't know Job, Job was a chef, but it appears that he was. If this was his point, if this was Jesus' point in saying that you, you use the salt, so one, you're valuable, two, you're going to bring seasoning, you're going to bring flavor to the world around you, Jesus is saying that Christians should bring flavor and taste to what is an otherwise rotten world. So, value. Seasoning. Some say Jesus had in mind when he was using this salt analogy that, that he was talking about fertilizer. In the ancient world, salt was, was often thrown over the ground because it would absorb the rain and make the ground more fertile. I say this as someone who knows about fertilization very well, as my horticultural background would indicate. Not a clue. This is the best about reading books and finding stuff out and then communicating it to you, as if I know, right? So, I don't. But apparently, because of the salt will absorb the water, it made the Christians, or made the ground more fertile. Thus, again, the Christian is to be like fertilizer in the world around them. It makes the place more receptive for the seed of the gospel. Christians are supposed to fertilize the field and prepare people to receive spiritual truth. So we have value. We have seasoning. We, we, we are valuable. We're supposed to bring seasoning and flavor to the world around us. We act as a form of fertilizer for the seed to be sown and, 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 and make that receptive for those around us. But we also know that salt served primarily as a preservative. A preservative. In a climate such as Jesus was in, before the advent of refrigeration, salt was essential to prevent meat from decaying. And if this is what Jesus meant, the point would be that Christians are to serve Followers of Jesus are to serve as a deterrent to the moral and spiritual decay of the world around us. We think, we think that the world is in a bad state, yeah? We think by we look, we look around us and we look at culture and we think that the world is bad. 
trust me, it is nowhere near as bad as it could be. Why is that? It is nowhere near as bad as it could be because God in his sovereignty has used followers of Jesus to slow the decay. If you think back through history, who has been at the forefront of the medical field, of education, of, and I, I could list four or five things that we look at now as norms, and they all predominantly stem back to followers of Christ. That is part of our purpose in the world, to stop this place rotting as it could do. So, if that's the case, if we are to be all these things, if we're to be the salt of the earth, so we're to have, we, we know we're valuable to God. He's going to use us in this way. We know we're to be a preservative. We know we're to be a fertilizer. We know, we know we're to be all these things. How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, one way we do it is merely by being here. And I don't mean here, by the way. I don't mean in this room. I mean here, on this planet. Being wherever you will be tomorrow. Being wherever you will work this week. Being wherever you will serve this week. Being wherever you will be this week. You are doing what you're supposed to do if you are in Christ and if you're following Jesus. Yeah? Simple thing. We small, simple things that you will do this week are, are, is being like salt of the earth. What about when the gossip starts and you refrain? You're being the salt of the earth. You're preserving goodness. What about when the crude jokes are told and you don't engage? You're being the salt of the earth. What about when you care for someone this week? You're being the salt of the earth. Second way, so just merely by being here, doing what we do, being believers in the culture around us, we are being the salt of the earth. What about active involvement? Not just by passive involvement, but, but active involvement. Where are you actively seeking out to be involved in the culture around us so that when you go there, you are the salt of the earth? This is where the church over the years ha have got it so wrong in my opinion. We retract, 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 we, we, we get into our only holy huddles. We get into our only bubble. We don't see the world around us. We don't engage with the world around us. What's the problem with the salt, the salt that stays in the salt shaker? It is useless. Useless. Actively seeking out ways to be involved in the culture around you 
instead of withdrawing from it, is the way that Jesus went. And it's the way the church should go. Now, as I say, salt and pepper shakers come in all different shapes and sizes, colors, birds, ducks, cats, dogs, people, buildings, whatever you want. I, I, I come across one last week, I didn't know how to work it. Now, you might find that very difficult to believe, how you couldn't figure out how to work a salt shaker, but lo and behold, there was a battery on it, and you pressed the button, and it did it itself. That's the world we're living in, folks, I'm telling you, it's mental. Anyway, come in all different shapes and sizes. But the salt is useless as long as it remains in the shaker. Salt is no good unless it is dispensed. And if we are to be the salt of the earth, we are no good if we are not dispensed. We are useless to Christ if our saltiness as Christians is never dispensed beyond the confines of the church building. John Stott said this, God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little churchy salt shakers. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. We have no business, Stott says, to remain snugly in elegant little churchy salt shakers. Let me ask us a question as a church. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing? Are we happy enough to come along here on a Sunday? Happy enough to sing the songs? Happy enough to hear a sermon? Happy enough to, to have a coffee afterwards with, with people that you relatively like? I mean relatively. That you can bear for 15 minutes after church. Let me put it like that. Are we happy enough to do those things but never, ever take the saltiness that Christ has given us and put it into the world out there? That is the greatest challenge. It has been the greatest challenge and will be the greatest challenge for the church for all of time. But saying that, here's the wee flick on that, as it were. To be salty in the world around us, we need to retain that saltiness. And how do we do that? What does Jesus say here? You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything 
except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let me ask you a question. I, I, salty means a different thing in today's culture, and I'm all down with the kids' culture. I'm, I'm very hip and modern and trendy and all that there. You can see I'm even not wearing any socks today, look. Uh, but um, I'm wearing wee footy trainers just in case. Uh, right. Are we even salty? Salty in today's culture means like a bit abrasive. Am I right? I'm looking at some of the young people here. It means a bit abrasive, a bit, ooh, you're salty. Am I right? Oh, come on, give me a hand. Like, give me a hand here. I'm trying to get some answers. I, I think I know what it means, but it might be wrong. Uh, it means like you're a bit off. But I want to ask you, I want to ask us this. When Jesus is talking about salt and he's talking about having that spiritual fervor, that, that preservative, are we there? What Jesus meant here when he says, if salt has lost its taste, what he means is that we're no longer walking close with God. You cannot, let me be abundantly clear, you cannot, I cannot, go into the world around me and try to be salt and to have those things that I've just described, preservative, be a fertilizer in the world around us, to give the world taste around us, if you and I are not walking closely with Jesus. We can go and do lots of nice things. We can go and do lots of good stuff. But it will not have the flavor of the kingdom if we are not immersed in Jesus. Are we? Are we? Are we reading the Bible? Are we praying? Are we getting to know Jesus? It is only, folks, when we do that that we will retain our saltiness and we will be effective in the world around us. Why am I not effective in the world around us? Me. It's because I am often not immersed in Jesus. That's what will bring the salt. Not me. Not you. But it will be me and it will be you immersed in Christ. That will bring a different flavor to the world. So, Jesus says we are the salt. And and he says to these first century disciples, you are the salt of the earth. And there's a warning. But... If salt has lost its taste, have you still got your taste? Are you immersed in Christ? Can you be effective in the world around you? Do not stay in those cozy little churchy salt shakers, but get out there. Be salt in the world. The second analogy that Jesus uh, gives us here is light of the world. 
So you're the salt of the earth, but you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. I laughed, Nathan. I laughed last week when Nathan called us a city. <laughs> That's funny. Refrain. Good work. Uh, he calls Alco a city. Alco's not even a city. It's like 20,000 people, right? But you are a light, a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light under a basket, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So here we have this, this analogy of light now. And the reality is, I'm just going to jump straight into this, the analogy is, means that we are only light by, by the fact that we have the light of the world dwelling within us. So just before you get any notions about you being the light of the world on your own, you're not. We are only the light because Christ is the light in us. He is the sun, as it were, and we're the moon who reflect his presence and power in the absence of, 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 of light in this dark, sinful world. Again, context matters. We come in here, and even on a bright day, we fire all the lights on, and, and, and it's nothing to us. In the ancient world, no electricity. This is probably going to have a greater impact on those who, who heard it first than it is on us today. But Jesus' point here, again, the point of what Jesus is saying, is that light is useless unless what? Unless it is visible. It is useless unless it is visible. Worthless unless it is visible. And he gives two examples to, to portray that. He says, a city set on a hill. And his point is that we are his followers. If we are his followers, we are that city. We are not little villages nestled away in a valley somewhere that cannot be seen. We are a city set on a hill. Whose light signals his presence for miles around. Now, I slag it somewhat, just out of jest. But it's funny how if you're anywhere in the surrounding area for about 10 miles around and you're approaching it, how your friend stands out. Like, I, I, lo I love that. I, I do actually love the fact that we are on a hill and that we can be seen for miles around. And it just gives this, this text so much more meaning, actually. Because you can see it. It's visible. Even when the mist, and I've referenced this, this photograph before, the Ryan Simpson, the famous Ryan Simpson's photograph of, of the mist being all around and what's sitting out on the top, that's fine. Visible. Everybody can see it. But it's only this light that we have is only worth anything if it is seen. The second one, he says, a lamp, no one in his right mind lights a lamp only to hide it under a bucket. God did not redeem you. God did not save you. God did not set his spirit in you. God did not give you his light. God did not put his presence of the Holy Spirit in you to hide you under a bucket. 
God put his presence on you, his spirit in you, so that you would be seen. Some of us hate the thought of that. Some of us hate the thought of that, of being seen. But that's what he has done. Some of us love the thought of that. But uh, that's what he has done. He has put his presence in you. He has given his spirit to you so that you can be seen in the darkness. So how then do we shine? We are one. So in a dark world, as I say, what this, what this analogy does is it shows us two things. It shows us that the world is rotten, but it also shows us that the world is dark. And so how do we, as, as the, light, the light of the world, shine our light into that? Well, one, we expose darkness for what it is. We expose darkness and we expose error and we denounce it and we reveal it and we separate from it. So much of what we see in the world today is, is, is lies. So much of what we see in today in our culture is just lies from Satan. And we, the church, must say it as it is. We must tell the truth. We must stand on Scripture. And we must, that, that is one of the ways at which we shine a light into this world, into this dark, dark world. Another way we shine our light is by our works of compassion and mercy to those outside the church. We shed our light outside the church by, by how we treat others around us. I went into, uh, it was, I think it was the Faith Mission one time, in the Faith Mission bookshop in Cold Rain, possibly. And I was talking to the, the girl behind the counter. And I was just saying, oh, you busy. Usual chat, are you busy? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, busy enough. And I was like, I was, and I, I said to her, I was talking to someone in our shop one day, and they were just saying about how badly they're treated. You know, when customers come in, how badly they're treated, how badly they treat the staff. And the girl in the faith mission said to me, said this to me. And uh, the ones, and don't, don't judge me here, by the way, all right? Just when I say this. The ones that treat me the worst in this place are ministers. That's the faith mission bookshop. The ones who treat me the worst in here are ministers. Now, just before you go all judgy on me, all right? You're also ministers, so, all right? How? How is that possible? Really simple. When you go into a shop, this is like, this is like Christianity 101. When you go into a shop, are you pleasant and nice? and say thank you. That's like basics. And yet, and yet, so often, we can be guilty of being the most grumpy gits in the world, going into shops and treating people like rubbish. And that's just one example. We are supposed to be lights in the world. Lights in the world. We do so also by our works of compassion and mercy to those inside the church. Tertullian in 200 AD wrote this, but it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put the brand upon us. See, they say, 
how they love one another. Two hundred years after Christ, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, backed up what Jesus said when he said that many will come to know me because they will see what? How you love one another. So we, actually, we, we, we expose darkness, we counter it, we tell the truth, we reveal it. By our works of compassion and mercy to those who are outside the church, we, we, we shine. We shine by the way that we love one another as a church. And we also do it by our spoken witness, our evangelism. We tell the truth of Christ and we shine a light into this dark world. So, you are, this is Jesus talking to the first disciples, and, and I could stand here today and I could say exactly the same, you are, take this on, you are the salt of the earth, but are you salty? You, you are the salt, but are you salty? You are the light, but are you hiding the light? Those are, the, those are the, basically, I've, I've spent a long time, and if you notice this, I do this every week. I spend a long time saying very little, all right? Well, yeah, I won't break it down. These are the, 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 two, the two things. You are the salt, but are you salty? You are the light, but are you hiding the light? For what purpose? For what purpose? Jesus gives us the purpose. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So what? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of being the salt? What's the purpose of being the light? Here he goes. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the goal. That's it. That's the purpose. Not so that you can be seen as being salty, not so that you can be seen as being a light, but that people give glory to the Father. That's the purpose. Not so that we can have some sort of credit. No. Not so that, so that people whom we serve can have better lives even. No. Why? The purpose we are to be salt and light in the world is very clearly stated so that the glory goes to the Father. The glory goes to the Father. Right. Salvation. This is going to sound strange in your ears. So listen, so that I may not be misinterpreted. Salvation is primarily not about your ticket to heaven. Salvation is primarily about God's glory. Do you get it? Do you see the difference? Everything he is about is about him. Not about us. 
we make it about us all the time. You, listen, you're not safe for you. You are not saved for you. You are saved so that you may, you and me, we are not saved for us primarily. We are saved so that the glory goes to the Father. We are so inward thinking. So often we, we make it about us and it's not about us. It's about him. Again, I quote it like once every three weeks probably. The Westminster Confession of Faith. First question. Man's chief end. What's your purpose? Why are you here? Give God glory. That's it. It's not so that you can have a better life. It's not so that you can make others feel better about themselves. It is about giving God the glory. So you are salt in the world to give him the glory. You are the light of the world so that he gets the glory. He is coming back. Jesus shall return for the church. And who will get the glory? He will. And where will our attention be? On him. And who will have our affection? Him. And that's the way it's supposed to be here too. You are the salt of the earth. But are you salty? You are the light of the world. But are you hiding your light under a bucket? All for his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that the good news of the gospel is not based around us. Thank you so much for what you teach us through Romans, even. That the whole of creation is groaning for your coming so that everything will be redeemed for your glory. Help us to see what you want us to do in that. Give us your help through the person of the Holy Spirit to die to ourselves so that we can be salt, so that we can be light. Get us out of the road. Father, I pray for this town. And I pray you'll help us to be salt and light in this place. Help us to bring the kingdom to bear here. So many people lost. So many people going to hell. Help us, we pray.
We need you. We need your spirit. We need you to, to just take over. Remove us. Jesus, have your way amongst us, we pray. It's in your beautiful name. Amen.